Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? Uh, well, I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. for Thanksgiving weekend oh, kind of thing. Did you have Are a lot you... of food? I know. I missed the whole dinner uh, <laughs> part, of, part of it. You went for Thanksgiving dinner, but you, for Thanksgiving weekend, but you skipped the dinner. Yeah, I missed the, the actual Thanksgiving part of it. So I'm just here for the leftovers. Why did you miss the dinner? Um, because I was in uh, Montreal uh, doing a performance about mm. uh, the art market. <laughs> where, okay. where, and you're, you're in Utrecht, right? Yeah, my parents live here. So I'm staying here and I'm doing some production. Living. And, uh, and some you, it's been a while since you've been back home, hasn't it? Yeah, it, the, this, the trip has been extended because, uh, long story, but there's just some production opportunities, so I had to stay. Production opportunities, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. with family. <laughs> that sounds a little bit not reproductive opportunities. I hope that anyway. no, no. And you're uh, in Utrecht, where it is, I believe, the only place in the world with uh, a sort of something called universal income, where everyone is guaranteed an income. I don't think any of that is true. So I'm not sure guaranteed. what your source is. <laughs> it's true. Or and, I know well, there's I know plans that... in the Netherlands, but there's nothing has mm. been done yet. Okay, but the life is easier there. That's the impression. Everyone has this impression, of course, that Europe in Europe life is so easy. I mean, it is. It is really easy. Oh, Com- so, so compared the, to the, the U.S., yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's for sure. Because I think that's something you wanted to talk about. Like everyone, whenever I say I'm from Canada, like, oh well, of course you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, survival actually, because it's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I thought it would be interesting because, but I thought you would be in Canada, but you're not, but because I'm in my home country and, but maybe I wanted to talk about when you gr- grew up, uh, mm. because Canada is so close to the U.S. and the U.S. has so many more people. How many people does Canada have? It's like 35 million. Yeah. We, it's like maybe 37, like we count each million, like it's. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's about 10% of the population of the U.S. Yeah, and then yeah, you have this exactly this yeah. super famous country right next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean is, I grew up where all your media kind of comes from the U.S. Every movie, every song, and a lot of books, and so you grow up as a sort of a satellite of another culture. Or did mm-hmm. it feel that way in Canada? It did, but we also had kind of our own things, which I think you had in the Netherlands too, that were sort of like subsidized by the government. So yeah. there's like, yeah. there's like laws that protect our culture and that, um, and then money that goes to people to but create. For example, worse... you went to art school in the U.S. I, I went to art school in both Canada and the U.S. Oh, I've seen the differences actually. I, yeah. I did my graduate education in the United States. Yeah, because I, I, I... In general, I don't like talking about politics because it's just too complicated. But mm-hmm. to me, it's interesting to have first-hand uh, knowledge and to hear about like what was it like in how was it in Canada and how was it in the U.S. and how was it different for you? And yeah. it's a very I mean, specific like... use case. We we can't generalize, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, likewise, I didn't go to art school in Europe. I've always been curious about that, but my, but my partner Kristen did. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to school in London. But that's and not Europe. I, and I was just meeting over the uh, while I was in Montreal with uh, an assistant that I've worked with, um, who's from France, and she was complaining about how easy she thought the Canadian school was uh, compared. In you know, in France, they're brutal in critique, and in in, in Montreal, it was so easy. Mm. Um, 
but you know, I found actually that there are there are quite a few differences. And I remember thinking, I think no matter where you go, you always think. Because I remember when I went to the United States, I thought, oh, it's so easy here to compare to Canada. <laughs> Maybe it's just the United States is the easiest, but I don't think so. I think how, it was more. How was it easier than in Canada? Oh, like you didn't have to do any writing as part of your uh, art degree. Mm. Um, and when I did, where I went to school in, in Canada, you had to write and read theory while you were, you know, also drawing or. Do you feel like that that emphasis on the theory and the practice hand in hand is? Does that make for a certain type of work? Oh, for sure. I mean, a lot of times it made for um, pretentious work, for sure, you know, or work that was less authentic to the person. Where it, whereas one thing I think you see in a lot of American students is that identity is explored more frequently. At least I, I've always had that yeah. impression of, of students' work here versus in Canada. In, in Canada, it would be like, like a quote from Foucault would turn into like an artwork for like a first year <laughs> undergrad you're just like it's totally stupid for you to be trying to make this i always like thought not... that was very strange when you're 18 and you go to art school you already have to behave like you're 45 but <laughs> when you're in a band and you're like making edm you're not gonna be like oh this is a foucault bump and, and this yeah like, this is the you know, this is the derrida yeah. drop and uh, yeah they're not like yeah exactly they're not like john cage when you're 18 yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. John Cage wasn't John Cage when he was 18. He waited until he was in his 60s or his 50s to make uh, his statement. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. it, is a Canadian high school very different from an American high school? Well, I've never gone to high school. I mean, I could so I can only go through, uh, you know, by a conversation. One thing that would be very, kind of different, I think, is the diversity in, our, in the cities is different, right? So I remember I was, you know... I was a minority as a white male in the school that I went to. Yeah. Um, it was mostly at that time, like the, like an immigrant wave from Hong Kong in Toronto. So it was mo- like 90% Hong Kong Chinese. Um, and they weren't, you know, they weren't from China. And was it, China, like was it very uh, separated in terms of groups of friends? Um, like, was there segregation? I think there's always um, some, a little bit of segregation, but generally, no. Like, I had friends of all sorts. There, you know, the, actually, it was usually around like cultural lines more than I would say racial. So it's like, were you a hippie or were you a yeah. goth or mm-hmm. something like that? How big was your like, high school? Well, I was part of like a smaller French school inside of a larger school, but it was about fifteen hundred people, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other weird thing. I went to school in French, which is common in. Canada mm-hmm. and what about you though I mean I, I'm super curious it's it's really funny with high school actually just to think about that versus like university or something what could is it radically different in Europe I've never well uh, yeah I think it I'm learning much more about the U.S. now that I'm living there and I'm married to an American mm-hmm. and uh, there's very little pressure on you when you're in high school in in the Netherlands. There's no pressure mm. to do extracurricular activities to build a resume or anything like that. <laughs> right. And there's no there's no pressure of having good grades to go to a good university. You can just go to any university, period. Mm. And all the universities cost the same amount of money. It's mm-hmm. only if you want to go to med school that your grades count, but the extracurricular activities don't count. So I think once you go to university, there's a little bit of pressure to join a fraternity or sorority and build a network. But before that, it's just high school and you're just hanging out and you 
you kind of do your homework, but I don't think it matters if you get a, the grades go from zero to 10, but whether you get a six and a half or a 10, it's only for your personal satisfaction, but it has no impact on your future. Mm. There are fraternities and sororities in Europe? Yeah, I think they go back way further than the ones in the U.S. Really? Yeah, I they're think like from, such an American thing. No, no, they're from the 1600s. But they're are they like more like salons? <laughs> oh no, no, no! It, this is a funny story. I was in art school, and the the fraternities are forbidden in art school. They're not explicitly forbidden, but if you are outspoken that you're part of that culture, mm-hmm. all your teachers treat you differently. So like it's lower, like it's well. Like, it, it's it's just considered tacky, fratty, broy or something. Oh, yeah. So they'll okay. it, then they'll judge your work that way. The teacher. That's the same in that's the same in America. Like if I when I found out some of my students I found out were a part of fraternities at NYU. Yeah. And and sororities, and I was like, why? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I think the other way around. If you're not in a fraternity but you're studying law, then it's weird too. So. Mm-hmm. But there was a guy in my class in the first year, and he went to another art school the year before where he was very openly, he would wear his fraternity jacket and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. But his teachers started viewing his work through that lens and treating him differently. So it went really mm-hmm. bad. And then he switched schools and he, would, he, he never told anyone. But we went out for drinks and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm part of this. And he was part of the oldest fraternity in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And then he took me there. There's all these rules, so I was wearing sneakers, which is not allowed. Oh no! Uh, so they had to put gaffer <laughs> tape all over my shoes, and oh, because I was like with you had to wear clogs or something like that. Well, and then because I was with him, I was allowed to go in. And then it's basically a giant room with um, what do you call it, drafts or kegs, and there's there's sixteen or whatever amount of of those faucets for the beer. Yeah. Um, but there's 20 clubs within the fraternity and they all have to brawl once a month to conquer their keg and then what does that mean brow brawl like like fight it's it's a it's a special term in the netherlands where they have to wear a sports jacket and they all have to fight to to get their keg so the sports jackets all get torn up but then they have to keep on wearing them and it kind of shows them how good they were in conquering their beer (laughs) there's all these weird rules that's yeah. really weird. Yeah. I've never heard of anything like that. No, it, I mean, and I've the rules like, go back centuries. It's all this weird. Yeah. The bathroom was funny. It it had a a huge sink, like a sink that was a meter by a meter, which is basically for throwing up. Mm. So they have all these facilities. It's like institutional extreme they, hedonism. They have the same thing in the United States, but I feel like the traditions don't go that back that far. And yeah. In Canada, by the way, a fraternity or sorority is almost The craziest story I heard of. of fraternities, because they have these hazing rituals, uh-huh. the craziest story that I heard was that they had made a labyrinth in the basement uh, and covered all the walls with raw meat, and you would go in there blindfolded, and they would leave it to rot for weeks. Mm. This type of stuff, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's a like very a, extreme it's kind culture. of like the United States with haze. It's almost like hazing. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So and all then, of the bad stuff. But I remember that this this fraternity was in an old printing house, mm-hmm. and it was a huge room and, and very high up. You could see barely see it was a huge a big painting, a canvas, mm-hmm. and it was a yellow rectangle and then a tiny strip of white at the top, and it was their abstract version of beer. That was their, that was oh. their art. 
that so that was that an early influence on you because that's similar to your style yeah i guess i guess that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he would do stuff this. like um uh, he would organize a cultural evening because he was from art school so he would mm -hmm. put up posters cultural evening and then we'd gather and then they would watch uh, porn with elderly people that would be the cultural evening porn did you say yeah <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that or that? Well, that I wasn't there. Thing? I'm just, I'm just saying that's like everything revolves around oh, extreme jokes. Oh wait, I just not the guests weren't elderly. The porn was of elderly. Yeah, people. yeah, exactly. Videotapes uh, of elderly people having sex, and they would have to. They, they would do a competition who could watch it for the longest without throwing up or whatever. Oh, okay. I thought they invited all the old people over. As no, like that, a charitable thing. Yeah. They watched porn together. But it's a like, very, it's a very specific really Dutch thing where it, the the jokes go very far and he yeah. it, it was just funny because he was in art school it's such a different way of uh, being but he was still it was just his family and then mm. he was afraid of storing his work in his room because he was living in a fraternity house and he would he know that they would as a joke they would set it on fire or whatever right yeah that's yeah that's not i didn't i didn't really have an experience like that until i went to school in the united states in canada like a, your academic life is it's pretty boring, as you might imagine. I mean, mm -hmm. there are schools, you hear about them, like there's like, a, you know, certain schools where there's like a party life and fraternities and sororities. But generally speaking, my school life, especially being an art school, was like you go to school, you do your work, you work all the time. You maybe get drinks on a Friday night, but there, there's none of this subculture or like, you know, secret society. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was also of, and then I, in the United States though I remember keggers and all of that stuff it was like it was I was like I feel like I'm in a movie you know because the movie the college movies yeah, yeah, that yeah. we all now I realize those are not based on fiction or like an exaggeration they're not exaggerated no they're not exaggerated at all actually I saw crazier things than I've seen in yeah. those movies and I was like oh I had no idea like as a as a, as a young Canadian I just thought that was like the imagination of those crazy no Americans. it was the same <laughs> moving to the US and I thought there's no way they have fridges that big that was just right. for the movies right. and the fridges were really huge yeah it's true yeah but it's but true. the specific thing I think there's a there's a huge difference in pressure in the US and uh, also with student debt and things like that so you can't just try around and be like, I'll try this class, I'll try that class. It's, you mm. really have to be effective. And the, there was a, the, the Netherlands had all these resources and support for people. So it used to be that you would get money from the government to study. That kind of mm -hmm. stopped. And it was pretty extreme in the 80s that, or in the 70s and the 80s that you could study for 30 years. There was this thing called the eternal student, just people who loved academics. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like the idea of becoming a professor because it was a lot of responsibility. So they would just study yeah. for 30 years and be paid for by the government. I mean, we still have that in Canada, or at least when I was in school, there were people that were doing their fifth undergraduate education yeah. <laughs> yeah. because it was really cheap. And also, as long as they did that, they didn't have to pay back any loans or anything. Mm -hmm. and the loans no, but this is enough. before where you didn't even have to have loans. You would just get okay. a stipend. <laughs> you would get like an equivalent of a thousand dollars a month but back then and you could have a cheap room yeah. uh, you know where student clothes and having a you know a, a sort of cheap party lifestyle of drinking beer at the fraternity and studying right. and you could study greek and latin and philosophy and chemistry and just anything that comes to mind for 30 years yeah 
Yeah, you're like Matthew McConaughey, and you're like, what's that line that he has from Wet Hot American Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting all like, those, and the chicks just stay the same. Yeah, that's right. So you'd have it like, your life is all set up kind of thing. But uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think um, you're we're leaning into what I think we wanted to talk about today, which is sort of like what it's like to grow up being an artist and in a different country. Well, what know? I wanted to ask you is that because all our media, or most of it came from the U.S., you always feel like, or at least I felt that way, like, oh, the action is happening over there. Mm-hmm. It's not here. Mm-hmm. It's So I don't know if you felt the same way about the U.S. It's like, oh, it's this, yeah. this big land where all these amazing things happen. Yeah, this, I mean, the secret, and this is interesting, I think, to discuss, because Canada, you know, definitely is like a little sibling, a little sister, a little brother to the United States. And, um, and so there's always this feeling of inferiority, uh, even at, you know, even our biggest stars, we don't, the, the cliche, and maybe this is true in Europe too, Celine is like, Dion? You know, until, yeah, but until they're famous in the United States, no one cares. Yeah, that's the same in the Netherlands, not particularly the US, but when you're from the Netherlands and you do well outside, then that really helps your career in the Netherlands. Yeah, and my first instinct when I wanted to do well was to like not try and do well at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like what's the point? Like these little people won't appreciate. It. <laughs> like, yeah, which is terrible of me to say, but it kind of felt that way. So like, I went to school in the U.S. and then it was like, I kind of turned my back on my home country for a long time. Um, recently, I've realized that that's kind of like not a you know not not really a nice thing to have done and not a great idea because I feel a little bit disconnected from the scene that I grew up in that was very supportive early on. We um, love you, Jeremy. Like, no, you're not good enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I've had to really reconcile that it's my fault that, like, I can't get a show in Toronto, I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest, or it's hard. It's way easier for me to, to get a performance or a show, um, you know, in New York than it is in Toronto or but in But there's LA also the thing London. that sometimes you have a particular personality that matches another country. That's true, and I didn't. I felt more at home in the United States. I'll just be. I'll be very honest. And um, and when I, I remember when I went to grad school, I was like, finally, because I I wanted to make a different kind of work early on in my mm-hmm. career. You know, it'd be theoretically driven, but funny and like outrageous. Yeah. And it, it was like, yeah, like Paul McCarthy seemed like like a like like a, a likely influencer. Obviously, I've talked about Namjoon Pike or like yeah. Cindy Sherman, like these people that were kind well, of playful. I, I thought and... there was a similarity in in Canada and the Netherlands that there's a, a system of support from the government, which means that's selection by committee, and committees will also because there's many yeah. voices, it it will turn towards a more academic uh, discourse. Yeah, and my work is academic, but I don't want it to be about academics. <laughs> like no, I don't, no, no, no. But it, yeah, there, there's this thing where in the Netherlands, that's my um, analysis, is that it can be funny as long as the aesthetics are kind of lots of gray and brown. <laughs> right, right, right. So like charcoal yeah. drawings or cheap VHS tape or something like that. But as soon as it's kind of colorful and, and looks like something kids would yeah. like, then it's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the United States, that was immediate. I was immediately welcomed at, uh, as that being like almost an, an American. At least at, at the, in the era, two thousand, like mid two thousands, there was this Fort Thunder aesthetic. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but coming out of Providence and RISD, which is an art school, like Providence, the Paper Rad uh, group. Yeah, like so, like Paper Rad and stuff. It was like those were they were getting major museum kind of attention uh, for a mm-hmm. little while, and they were on TV, and it became like a popular aesthetic in the United yeah. States, and so. 
in Canada, that would have been you know, it's not allowed. sneered at. That wouldn't have been allowed. How dare you spend Maybe 30 years <laughs> later. Yeah, yeah. It, in it, public, so, it was yeah, funny. Uh, I, I got this grant a few years ago, and mm -hmm. it kind of proves the point that we're talking about. So the, the committee, the letter said, uh, congratulations, you got the grant. This is many years ago. And then they mm -hmm. said, um, well, we had to converse for a lo very long time. Uh, the committee was, was a heated conversation because your work is conceptually thin and visually obvious. <laughs> and we, we don't like the work. But you have so much success abroad that we have to acknowledge your importance as an artist. So <laughs> here it is. That's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> well, I recently had a situation like this before. Uh, you know, I won't, I won't name names, but I, I, I met with a curator in Toronto because of this sort of soul searching I was doing. I was like, I'd really like to do a show in Toronto and like kind of start from scratch. Like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's give it one more chance, like a new fresh start mm -hmm. in, in the city I'm from. And I have a gallery in Toronto and like I'd noticed like fewer and fewer people showing up on my openings and stuff. I was like, clearly I haven't done very much work to build an audience here. And I just, and also just want to make work in the place I live, right? Yeah. So I approached this curator that I really respect, and, and she said she, you know, she, she, and she likes my work, and I was, and so she, we, I pitched a show, and she was like excited about it, and she brought it back to her, you know, uh, programming board at this, you know, artist run center, like a publicly funded gallery. And I know a lot of the people on the board are old friends of mine. <laughs> And she like she presents the work, and she came. I came. She came back to me like a week or two later, and she's like, "Jeremy, like, you know, I, t I told them about the idea. We were so I was so excited with you about, and they just said, no, we have no interest.' Yeah. And you know, you know, and and their point was, they thought again, like it was conceptually thin. And she's like, I just feel like I had a hard time explaining it to them, and uh, I don't know, like they 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 didn't get any of the criticality that I had built in, to, you know, like the stuff that I thought was obvious, they didn't get it all. So they just thought it was like, like you said, jokes kind of. But um, if if you had done the same thing, but you had used sixteen millimeter black and white film, they might have liked it. Yeah, I, but I don't know. So I don't know what creates this tension. And it's funny that you said you think it's like public. Uh, money potentially right well like, it's it's like... the mechanism of public money that that means that there's a lot of long meetings and that's very but different what is from... that is that because we're afraid they're afraid or people are afraid that like there's going to be a news article no it's like designed by committee like, spends money on whoopee cushions it's like that <laughs> idea of designed money. by committee and or mm. or you have one singular vision where someone mm -hmm. says i like this let's go yeah, because I, but I've noticed in the art world in general, there's this contemporary aesthetic that is starting to kind of take, you know, it can't be art unless it fits into a certain, there's a very, it almost feels like the longer I'm around, narrower and narrower scope of what mm. constitutes uh, museum appropriate, let's put it that way, work, right? Mm -hmm. Or historically canon appropriate No, I think work. it's getting broader, actually. It feels broader. You do? Yeah. I think in certain places it is, but in smaller places, like what we're talking about, where there's an inferiority complex, okay. maybe it's maybe it's not, you know, or I, I and I could be wrong, and this could be the the rantings of a of a of a cranky man who's under recognized in his <laughs> hometown. That said, I have received a large grant before from the Canadian government, yeah, um, and it was for work that is is quite silly, um, but ended up just like you said being popularly successful, and. And I and I don't know I don't know like someone was smiling on me that day I guess mm -hmm. 
but um, but and I, do you think that uh, there's no way of a b testing that but if Canada would make for better art if there wasn't government support no so this is where we should go with this conversation because this is the most I think most talked about if you're an, if you're another artist listening the thing that you're most interested in is like what is it like to uh, grow up or emerge as an artist in a, in a culture that funds the arts yeah. plentifully yeah. versus one where it's the market kind of survival of the fittest. So it's like Europe versus the United States is what we're really talking about here, right? Yeah. So in Canada, um, arts funding is has just reached a record high. It's near a billion dollars. They just doubled the oh, amount wow. of funding. Uh, for artists, they even have they have they historically I was treated very well and a lot of others like me because they had a whole category just for media art and yep. that was a strategy the government took to compete on the world stage. Um, and recently, they've kind of simplified the categories and and opened it up a bit uh, as they doubled the the funds because it was very confusing. They were like, if you are a, you know a indigenous artist working with. 16 millimeter film uh, in the Northwest, then you qualify for this grant. If you are an inner city kid working with Play-Doh and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Toronto, you can have you, like you a Venn diagram of which yeah, things you exactly. can apply to. So you could always get a grant if you could fit the category well. You had to check certain boxes and those things. Yeah. Now, but the other thing that I'm, I want to hear your perspective on Europe, but I'll just set the baseline for Canada, is that a lot of what um, institutions are funded very well uh, publicly, but they're all, it, what it's caused is not really big, powerful uh, museums or institutions, but rather like hundreds of small what are called artist-run centers yes yeah well that's the netherlands was like that and now they're kind of shifting to the bigger museums well so this is that's interesting i want and i I want to hear how that's developing because in canada there's an equal amount of frustration right now because what happens with a lot of smaller institutions that are run by artists is they typically the people the directors turn over very quickly because the salaries are still quite low typically a director at a a a small artist-run center in Canada uh, would make around $40,000 a year. Um, and they're trying to get up to some kind of museum level somewhere or something, or they just churn out. Um, and so you have a lot of turnover. But then also, this, you know, the kind of funds that they have available for artists are cap out at, at, at a certain point. And we have set fees in Canada. So there's an artist union called Carfac. And other European countries I know have artist unions as well that set the fees. And then the institutions are required if they're publicly funded to pay those fees, yeah. um, but not more, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. So, you, you know, the artist ends up sort of capping out, you know, at a certain level where they can't make more money than really is kind of the bare minimum. Mm, I don't agree there. Well, that's this is what happens a little bit. So I just want to say, like, for me early on, it was really easy to be a young artist in yeah. Canada because yeah. there are lots of opportunities. I can remember, like, within it while I was still in school, starting to get shows, and then right a- and then right after, and then the for the last ten years, like I said, it's been harder than it was in the first ten years, or the first five years were harder than the next five years. Let's put it that way. I'm not that old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because everything's geared towards emerging art or smaller works and smaller projects. And, but that's and less... pretty similar to the commercial art world. So you think so? it's funny, yeah. If if the if the grant system favors young artists, because it's kind of like a gamble. Oh, this artist mm-hmm. has a lot of promise. And also, yeah. I understand that arts funding could be a sort of extended studying. So, the first five years out of art school, 
you won't need a day job, but then you should mm -hmm. be able to be on your own feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, so also the one the other thing in America is usually you'll graduate with a, a large amount of debt. Yeah. And same in parts of Europe now, too. And then so you have this period where you need to make a lot of money after school. Um, but in Canada, you would graduate with not very much debt and then an exhibition opportunity. You kind of be comfortable. And I guess the, the, the critique is of a lot of Canadian artists have of themselves and other Canadians is that you become lazy and complacent. Like you, it's more the artists, I guess, to a certain point. Yeah, so like that's, that, that's just... a difficult thing to measure because it's the same in the Netherlands where they're like, well, are these grants making it so artists become really good at applying for grants, but they're not that good at... Mm -hmm. Uh, finding an audience mm -hmm. um, so it's not a matter of being lazy it's just that you sort of go where you can survive you you develop survival skills and then those survival skills are not in a commercial world your survival skills would be in talking to people and the gallery system and making that work yeah but well, in the Netherlands really you become really good at writing and you make friends who can help you with writing these grants and then mm -hmm. Uh, you don't develop the hustling skills for the commercial side. And and those hustling skills, which are an abstract thing, are it's kind of interesting because I've recently been asked to consult on, you know, some arts council stuff in Canada. And what was really funny is to get behind closed doors and to hear, you know, people high up talk about what we're talking about now, yeah. the way we're talking about it. They're like, yeah, if we double the funding, they'll just swallow it up and they won't grow at all and there'll be no change, right? And to hear them say that, you know, that they had the same impression was really interesting because mm -hmm. they're like, what we need to do is restructure it to be to create this sort of environment where there's a hustle, where there's we're trying to reach more people. Because I guess what they noticed is audiences are actually in have been in decline for over a decade, more than that. In Canada, like 20 years in Canada. Yeah. Even yeah. as funding has increased. Wow. Right. So like. Um, arts, the arts sector is increasingly out of touch with the, the potential audiences uh, and they've done almost nothing to build audiences. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I always hear contradictory things that in the UK that art audience now exceeds uh, football, soccer audience. Well, the UK is a really interesting study and probably in the next 10 years. And they have a lot of public funding for art. Not only that, but they created, you know, with YBAs, I think, in the 90s, and then with the Tate um, and the rise of the Tate as a consumer brand, mm -hmm. sort of like this culture where art was um, a lifestyle, a part of a lifestyle, you know, yeah. and something that you would do instead of going to the movies on a Friday night, you would go to a, an opening, right? Yeah, and they, they started building very spectacular art. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I mean by that, that that sort of that YBA stuff that came out of the 90s. Is sensationalism. Like, and it's sensationalism, yeah. yeah. So that, obviously, sensationalism does not exist again. <laughs> it's more like, what's the opposite of sensation? It would be like a quiet cough Introspective. in the corner. <laughs> Introspective, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in fact, you wouldn't want to fund publicly uh, sensationalism. But, you know, the government actually is, is starting to recognize that, hey, this isn't really helping anyone i mean mm -hmm. we're making quiet sophisticated work which i think has a you know place i'm certainly not looking down on that but there needs we need a broader view of what you know yeah. the public needs to be engaged somehow well, I, I always think about the, the two tv channels hbo and bbc mm -hmm. and of course they're very different but you can think of one that makes quality tv based on uh, 
consumer spending and the other one on state spending. So but, one's like sex and violence and the other is like politics. and Yeah, or, or in-depth documentaries. And so uh, both make for good TV. It's just yeah. a very different flavor. Yeah, but except that I think in you know Canada anyway, what, what we're finding is um, it's not good TV. It's boring. Um, mm. I'm being really a little bit harsher, but just to make a point. Yeah, I think Canada like, actually, because in the Netherlands with public TV, we always have, we compare things to the BBC and why is the BBC so successful abroad, but it's, of course, the language. Mm -hmm. But with Canadian TV, you really can measure, okay, what are we doing and what is the BBC doing and how is it received globally? Well, Canadian TV is another interesting story. So typically, we've had a public broadcasting company, we still do, called the CBC. And it was also really innovative for a while and things like, especially in comedy, like Kids in the Hall is like the canonical example of a comedy show that was on in CBC. And a lot of those people ended up becoming American kind of comedy leaders. And same thing with SCTV, which uh, was a Canadian TV show, uh, Second City Television, that ended up with uh, producing stars like John Candy, Candy Rick Moranis, and all these people. Um, yeah, because it, it could be that the whole grant system in Canada could work as a has a laboratory function and then can spread over the world because it's still English language. Yeah, and so that's when it works best. And actually recently I heard, and a friend of mine just got a TV show through the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, but they have a new mandate of, of radical experimentation. But there was a period in the middle where they were just making more boring, less well-produced versions of American like, yeah. crime dramas yeah. and stuff trying to be America. And I think this is where it gets interesting for our conversation, which is like, we don't want, you know, Canada doesn't want to be America and the Netherlands doesn't want to be uh, the UK or America either, right? Each one needs to leverage the potential um, kind of differences to make something unique, uh, to create a unique yep. scene. Um, and so I think the opportunity in Canada is for wild experimentation, but it's weird how the the, the uh, sort of public subsidy has, has resulted in the op absolute opposite. Um, you'd expect that a place where it's safe to make absolutely anything, and, and you know, if you fall, it doesn't matter, someone's there to, to pick you up, where there's a safety net, that you would see the most amazing, crazy... Like a new Monty of, Python. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, you don't see that unless the community and the culture says that's what they want to see, right? Um, Instead, you know, like the interface, like you said, of a grant or uh, of an academic institution where that that's, you know, like that that grant thing you said was really hilarious, where it's like, it's too funny. And yeah, well, uh, it, it's also funny <laughs> that thin. that a grant by its nature is undemocratic in the sense that whatever the audience at large likes doesn't mm -hmm. need a grant. Mm -hmm. So whatever is the major taste of people that everybody loves, Britney Spears or Celine Dion don't need grants. But I disagree. I disagree. Uh, I mean, I'll let you finish, but... I, and no, I think that, that, that's it. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason I disagree is that, like, uh, when, you, you know, you've all, we've all heard of why Hollywood can't produce, in, you know, new, interesting ideas is because there's a, a large fear of financial risk among studios for a failure. And it's why there's like the same sip sitcom over and over and over again. Like you'd think after Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm um, or even Roseanne or, you know, whatever, that we would have really incredibly in all television would be yeah. incredibly innovative, right? I'm but still surprised still that have... a lot of people like Seinfeld. I never well, understood a... why that became a hit. It's very bleak. It was... 
<laughs> it is. Yeah, it's not like it's not a great. It doesn't make a sound like a great pitch. It's not right? a feel good show. And it's experiment, but it's experimental. It in terms of format, it yeah. was. Um, and I guess you know there were precursors to that um, that show, as well that led to it. I mean, I'm not, but it was probably not an. It wasn't expected to be yeah. a hit. I don't think, right? No. And so you need, you know, you need risk. Risk taking requires a certain amount of public support, in my opinion, mm-hmm. or some support. Someone needs to take a risk on it. And why shouldn't it be the government? Okay. Like, what do they? Who's gonna? Who do they have to answer to? They don't need to make a profit, right? Yeah, that's my point. Well, so. it's it's hard to defend when uh, there's a shortage of uh, caretakers for the elderly, and they're like, "Well, we need to have a laboratory to figure out the next Monty Python, but it's going to take 15 <laughs> right. years, and uh, we're going to get all the theater students, and hopefully, one of them is really funny." Yeah, but I mean, I don't think that's much different than a Hollywood studio being like, yeah. you know. Well, we we we're guaranteed ten percent profit, or we could lose everything. Well, Hollywood is even we could... even in a more difficult space now because for a movie to make money, it has to make money all over the world. So they have to make something that works in China and works in mm-hmm. South America. So they can't really have cultural specific comedy. It has to be mm-hmm. or or adventures. It has to be really basic. So. But that's why I've started looking at a little bit. Um, I'm looking a little bit at, at what other cultures are doing, other business cultures. Like I think Silicon Valley is an interesting topic here because, and everyone's kind of fetishizing their model right now, yeah. which is to have radical experimentation but to fail really quickly. So yeah. let's do instead of doing two big ideas, let's do twenty. But to I don't 100. think that there's very few people who actually do risky ideas because most people are like. This is Uber for pet food, and they call that, well, that a risk. Yeah, yeah, that's not how it uh, what always was. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that's just what's starting to emerge again. Probably the same way. Ho- that's not how Hollywood always was. Or yeah, like, that's yeah, not yeah. How So I guess there's waves. Scene. Yeah. Because well, I'm with. I'm actually. This is a c- kind of an interesting analog. I'm starting to see that right now in VR. It's kind of like this, where there's like wild experiments all over the place. The norms haven't emerged. The big Hollywood studios aren't there. And so, you know, I've done a few VR things over the last few months and you'll and you'll just see like crazy stuff and same yeah, thing kind yeah, of in yeah. indie video games. And but the audiences aren't there yet. Right? Which is a blessing because um, then you can't measure the result yet. So people just go all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. There's like there's no yeah, no one knows if it's a hit or not. Yeah. They're just like Whatever. because with YouTube, it's it's so measured that it also becomes predictable. Yeah. I remember in the early days of YouTube, though. I was like kind of a star for being yeah, experimental, but now yeah, but also like you were so a star much. for having two thousand views, and people are like, oh wait, bravo! Yeah, that's right, that's true. I can remember just getting written up for having, you know, more than ten thousand people yeah. uh, watch a video, which is kind of silly now. In yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it became more scientific now, where you're like, okay, a video should be maximum four point three minutes, and it should have a bumper after ten seconds, but before you have to have a pull in and. There's all yeah. these methods now that actually work, and they create and they create formulas. But then, of course, then it leads to boring content. You watch YouTube less eventually, and then audiences are like, "Ah, oh, YouTube, it's over. Why does everything look the same?" It's kind of, I think, the same kind of thing emerges in any media. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of pattern of wild experimentation, stabilization, um, sort of like retrent- entrenchment of uh, norms, and then audience uh, sort of. Uh, ennuiement, yeah, if you will. and then uh, 
the, the thing that I always think about is that, I don't know if that's the same in Canada, that in the yeah. Netherlands, I don't think you are taught to self-promote as much as in the U.S., where you learn a lot about public speaking and you're supposed to brag kind of and exaggerate your success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I see that with uh, Scandinavian artists and Dutch artists, always kind of humble or even downplaying yourself. Yeah, that's true. And, and it, I mean, in Canada, too, it's considered impolite to brag about your success. Yeah. I mean, I, when I went to the United States, it was uh, almost a requirement. Uh, I remember like every weekend, all my friends, I was in Syracuse, so it would be like, okay, what, you know, what town are we going to this week? I want to go meet with this curator. I got to sit down for coffee with this person. It was like that hustle you talked about was a big part of yeah. um, part making of the culture. things work. Yeah, it's part of the culture. And I learned that in the United States. Um, and that helped me out early on, for sure. I mean, it's really similar to running a small business. And you, yeah. this is sort of the thing you're starting to hear now, um, which is the, the term artist as entrepreneur. Yeah, and but it's more, think, it's more than that. It's also the, this idea of where you're from. And, and as you said, like you're not proud of uh, your audience where you're from. You want to have the mm-hmm. audience from abroad. So it's not just mm-hmm. the fact that you're entrepreneurial, it's also the sense of, uh, of worth of where you're from. And that you have to reach a global audience now versus like, it, there was probably a time where it was okay for you just to have a local audience, and mm-hmm. especially in New York, right? It would be like, well, you know, my audience is in Soho. Kind of yeah, thing. but that's immediately global because it's there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, so that's why it's the easiest place probably to start if, or also the hardest. Yeah. But if you could get if you can gain entry through the Soho. Yeah. Gates. But there's this thing I noticed. That, I don't know if that's the same in Canada, where if you live in the Netherlands as an artist, most of my friends who were here left either for Berlin or London or Mexico. Mm-hmm. Nobody stays here. And when people live here, they're not really excited that they're living. They, they like it. Of course, it's a nice life. Mm-hmm. But when you ask this is specific to artists. When you ask them, hey, are you living here? They're like, yeah, I'm in between residencies and I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm on the... And I went to visit Iceland and it was the same thing. I was like, oh, do you live in Reykjavik? Yeah, but I was in uh, New York for five years and I'm on my way to a residency (laughs) in London. So there's this almost embarrassment of being from a small place. No, no. I mean, here's what I've heard. Is Canada the same? Where where someone in Toronto is like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a project in France and then I'm going to Japan and... Yeah, like I said at the outset of this podcast, I think I did that and I feel bad about it now because I think I harmed my own community and um, and my place within that community. Whereas like Drake or something, who's a pop star, like, you know, promotes Toronto, like is the ambassador of the basketball team, like writes songs about, puts the, the CN Tower on his album cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then that brings him even more fame because he's like different, right? Yeah. So that rejecting your local geography or identity, I think, is that's kind of right, productive. Don't forget where you come from. Yeah, that's right. Even though he came from a wealthy uh, uh, neighborhood in the, the north of Toronto. <laughs> Started the at the bottom, but... yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that that's a, it's a common mistake and one that I, I, it, I almost feel like I've realized too late in my career. I feel stupid about it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I would encourage anyone out there just to let, you know, really champion where they're from because that's going to help them and their community, you know, rise um, I was, on the world stage. I remember an interview with Jeff Koons and he was saying it's very important to be honest about where you're from. And so mm-hmm. he was honest that he came from a world of sort of tacky interior design and 
gazing mm -hmm. balls and, and fake David sculptures and that's where he came from so that's what he made art about yeah I mean that makes a lot of sense to me um, and I think when you're young you're just like really vulnerable and so you you overcompensate in all kinds of ways but um, yeah I mean I, I was talking to some friends who are artists and they and they moved to uh, to or uh, to uh, Colorado to be teachers and they were saying they really felt though that there was a disadvantage when they did a studio visit or they tried to network with the New York scene that when they heard they're from the West Coast but then specifically from you know one of these states that really just has no reputation in the arts that they, their work was uh, less recognized even though they'd been working just as long and they felt their work was better than you have to pay your people. dues and live in a major city for a while and then you can move to a smaller place yeah, in terms like, of cool factor for sure and I, but that's why i think it's also the responsibility of people that have done that to champion the places they're from to help the yeah. help everyone there do well as well but then there's but the, only, yeah. i still have the question so if you would remove the grants from canada and the netherlands mm -hmm. would that increase artists in the survival skills and becoming more global or is it that they come from such a small place that they don't have that soho infrastructure of good galleries and and so if you would if you would take out the grants you what do you call it pulling out the rug or yeah the problem is so this is actually you know a really hard problem to solve and i think a lot of people have tried to figure this out but like so when you remove the grants, you assume that a market emerges, but you, it, the market doesn't just appear overnight. In the United States, that market and those relationships were built over you know a long period of time, very long, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of patronage of the public of the arts, you know, was something that was built into the DNA of the country. In, There's also Canada, tons of examples of countries that have neither; they don't have market support or grants. Yeah, like we have zero market support, I would say, in Canada. I, I can yeah, but there's tons of countries of... where in, in South America or the Middle East where there's, mm -hmm. there's no gallery system or government grants. But as we mentioned earlier, like the UK would have, should be, you know, not, should, there shouldn't be pub, like a, a private market there, given the public subsidy that there once was, which, by the way, has been decimated, like it's okay. been cut back by over 50%. So... But at the peak, you know, like 10 years ago in the UK, you know, like you said, people were, were going and still do go out to art events and there was public money for it and there was a private market and, 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 right? So mm -hmm. like you figured, they figured out a great formula. Um, I think in Canada, we haven't figured out that formula. And so like if they remove the public money, uh, the art, you know, basically you just see a lot less art happening, yeah. uh, a lot yeah. less cultural experiments. Well, yeah, in the Netherlands, things were cut in half. Mm -hmm. um, maybe four years yeah, ago. I'm not and sure it, how. Actually, several major art centers closed that I relied on. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, in my daily interaction and going around and seeing museums or art spaces, it doesn't feel that different than uh, ten years ago. But I don't mm. live here anymore, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess. I mean, how much do you? I mean, so Nimke was a a, a great yeah. center that closed in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, in, in in the Netherlands, and and I think in New Media there are so few. There's only like yeah. 10 I think specifically for New Media, the the grant system was really great. I think yeah, because this is what I was saying is experimental. Work, yeah, and right? and it made for, it made for this genre of art that's hard to sell but is interesting and it's of its time, and it really made for 
a large group, a disproportionate amount of internet artists comes from the Netherlands, which is such a small country. Yeah, and it's the same with media art in Canada, where, like I said, this public subsidy was was mostly for that, and for a non, you know, a not otherwise the art market. By the way, eighty percent of all art market sales are still for painting, right? I just uh, heard the statistic at a at a at a conference I was at, and so you probably, know we can't probably sixty five percent is even figurative. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, and so you know the if the there are two options. One, there's public subsidy, or well, maybe there are three. And two, there's public subsidy, and audiences like get really excited about, it, and the artists have a responsibility to build those audiences, as do the institutions. Or three, like both things happen. Yeah. And you know, we and that's the utopia that I think I really would like the, to live the, in. The, the the longer historical view, I always wonder that the art we remember in the long run is the art of of big empires. So we remember Egyptian art and Greek art and mm. Roman art, and mm -hmm. Is it always that the, the economic superpower generates, they, they keep the art and they have a climate where art can be made and that's what we remember? Well, they certainly, yeah, I think there's, I mean... If you I view as the, as the 20th century as, as the century where the U.S. dominated... Yeah, the, the idea that the U.S., though, was a form of, like the CIA funded abstract expressionism, was a form mm -hmm. of cultural imperialism, yeah. right? And so... If we still believe in that, it's uh, it's a whole other podcast probably. But the idea of power and culture are intertwined. Um, well, you need something US, to be was, proud of. Yeah, what well, is? Yeah, it was certainly. It was also like a way for them to promote the ideals of capitalism and freedom. Yeah, and but even like the way in the long run, Italians can be proud of Leonardo and Michelangelo, mm -hmm. uh, and be like, "Well, my country, we created a lot of interesting things," and it. In the long run, it's really hard to be proud of like, yeah, we, we supplied steel all over the world. It's just kind of boring. It's the, Yeah, it's more like the packaging for steel yeah. is art. It's funny. <laughs> it's it's all these things where I'm, I would never say these things about politics in general. So I'm not a fan of nationalism and I'm not a fan of cutting funding. But when it comes to culture, then I'm like, well, maybe what would happen if you would cut the funding? And it, national identity is interesting. And... There's this weird thing where if I go to a museum and I see art from the Netherlands of the past, it, it gives me a feeling of possibility being from that country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, when I think of the Netherlands, just so... Like, I'm why, why would... It, it's, it's, it, I'm just thinking about... Yeah. I don't think countries are, are important to my identity, so why would I care if Matisse is from France? Right, right. I like Matisse, end of story. But then because someone else is from the Netherlands, then... You, yeah, you feel related and it's where you grew up and you see your country in a painting and that painting is in a museum in another country. Yeah, it's tough because in Canada, yeah, the most famous artwork is this group of seven stuff that I just hate, like this, uh, these like paintings of nature. And it's so, the reason I don't associate it with it is not my identity at all. Do you like Norman McLaren? <laughs> exactly. Like I, but, but someone like so, Norman McLaren, the, the animator, he made animations for public television in Canada yeah those are I do actually as I have a little bit of <laughs> do you feel connected to that because well I watched them being you know, as a child as I'm sure you watch certain yeah. things yeah. in the Netherlands as a child and so they, I have a nostalgia for them but I was always very forward or future looking I was looking for the new thing yeah um, and I still am I think that's what an artist is supposed well it's not what they're supposed to but it's the kind of artist that I am right so and I wasn't seeing 
I wasn't seeing other Canadians push, you know, things forward. Like, okay. Um, and so I, there are a few, notably people that were uh, often my mentors and people that I've, I've cited before on this podcast. But Brian the Adams? aesthetic, yeah, Brian Adams, right up there at the top. <laughs> but the kids in the hall that I just mentioned earlier, like comedians and, and, and entertainers that were like doing not what was like kind of kitsch Canada, Canadiana, but like we're doing what was like not done anywhere else in the world ever. Um, and yeah, landscape of like the North had never been done anywhere in the world because that's like the, it's like, it's the difference between an illustration for me though. And like really good piece of, uh, conceptual or, uh, or just really good piece of entertainment. Um, it's like an illustration is so boring. You get it, you know, it's a one liner, but, uh, if you can make something that's just like no one's ever seen before and kind of asks a question that no one's ever asked uh that's really rare and and very few um countries can support that kind of experimentation like we've said uh several times before because it's it's just like if there's nothing in the world that's saying that should exist or should happen everything is to suppress change kind of and you know this is a classic disruption conversation in a certain way which is you know the rule of you know the rule of innovation or disruption is twice the value for half the price Mm -hmm. or or uh or for half the time whatever it is but like it's supposed to be you know twice as easy and twice as good at least least. and so so to but to do that it should be a big big difference not yeah huge difference not yeah exactly and it's like kind of ah like how how long do i have to like just sit in this like pool that's slightly lukewarm (laughs) It's like, yeah. it's like not even a hot tub. It's just like this bacterial kind of <laughs> soup. That and and then we talked about this before. Would you consider moving to the U.S. or moving to New York? Well, I I think I already spend. I'm in the U.S. almost every week. So okay, this like the last couple of months I've been in the U.S. every weekend. Do do sometimes I, people I, think you're from the U.S.? They don't even know you live in Canada. Yeah, I would say like uh, a lot of people for uh, yeah most people just think I'm American. Yeah, and I I don't mind. But then you I'm, say an about, and then they're like, <laughs> "Well, what about you? I mean, you have a strong accent, I guess." But I think often in the Netherlands, people don't know I'm from the Netherlands. But I think in mm. the U.S., they know I'm from somewhere else. Yeah, where do they think you're from in the Netherlands? I don't know, but sometimes they're surprised when I start speaking Dutch. They're like, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. know you. Said that. One thing I can say about the Netherlands, though, just like Canada, is that you guys have produced. So many really, really amazing experimental artists in, uh, especially in new media. I think of like uh, yourself, obviously, but Jody, um, our friend Constant Dollar, people that are really not doing the typical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, the my, my theory the is also that in the Netherlands, creativity is cranked up really high. Yeah. But uh, sophistication and, and sort of making something desirable is at an absolute zero. So mm. it, just to illustrate that, if someone makes fashion, they're like, okay, this is a jacket, but let's give it six sleeves instead of two. <laughs> I so, just it's so funny. I only know one fashion designer from Amsterdam, and she does, like, pants, but they you put them on your over your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like creativity is cranked up so high to absolute ridiculous level. <laughs> so... I always think a lot of uh, sometimes it works and sometimes I go like oh that's too creative. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. opposite in Canada I think it's like I would say 
we it's just like slow incremental improvements and then sometimes those increments add up to something that yeah. just because the path was there the support was there and you're like oh like janet cardiff would be a great example like oh audio as art oh 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 we didn't expect that but she did that over like 20 or 30 years right and it's like and then people are crying at you know i don't know if you've ever seen this piece called 40 part motet but it's just like speakers around you and every speaker is a is like a choir voice but this piece is quite i've seen it installed several times and people like there's usually an old woman crying in the middle of it it's not at the new museum it's been it's been pretty much everywhere so maybe it's been i think i've seen it but and it is a beautiful work and but it could only have come, I feel like, from Canada. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's this, like, quiet solace yeah. that creeps up on you, and then you're, like, crying in the surrounding Yeah, it's, it's hard speakers. for me to think of a, a Canadian visual aesthetic of thinking, like, oh, that's typical Canadian photography, or that's, that's a typical well, Jeff, Canadian Jeff way Wall. of seeing. Yeah. It, it's very dry. But if, but if Jeff Wall would have come out of Norway, I would have accepted it, too. I would be, okay, yeah, that doesn't <laughs> right. surprise me. Yeah, yeah, he's not that different from like I don't know a Gursky or something like that. Yeah, but and that's but that's the other thing where I feel like the national identity can be encouraging, but not mm-hmm. much more than that because a lot of stuff you think oh that's that's so French, but actually if it came out of Hungary you would have accepted it. So the the idea of the national identity. I think well, that's what we're getting to. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, the art world's so small that you need to show it somewhere else, and the context needs to transcend the original site. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, it, and that's been true forever, right? Like Van Gogh, or you know, yeah. Whomever, but Monet but or something but it's it it, it's weird. I, I I was thinking about national identity, and is uh-huh. there a link between Vermeer and Van Gogh and Rembrandt and Mondrian? Could you say there's a a Dutch way of seeing. Hmm. But then Matisse could have been just as Dutch. You would have accepted that too. Like, oh, those bright colors, that's so Dutch. Right. I mean, I assume someone wrote a paper on this, but I don't know if the audience, I'm trying to think about it from just our regular, you know, man on the street, woman on the street audience. Uh, Like, would they, could they see that? And would that have any impact on how they receive the work? And I don't think it would. I think when we get down to it, you and I are both pop artists and we believe that good work speaks for itself like i don't think anyone gets into that janet cardiff in the center of that circle mm-hmm. and listening to the choir and is like well she's canadian i get it the identity oh it doesn't you know they don't they don't go through all those steps it just immediately hits them yeah. and i think we've all had one of those experiences with a great work of art where it's universal um if you dig of course you scratch below the surface you get to that identity but that's not what makes it great what makes it great is that it transcends all, I think. Yeah, but it's also nice it. when it, it the work captures the place where it's from. Yeah, but there's some. What I mean is that there's it, it speaks in a universal language, even yeah, as it is but even, true. And but there's the risk of if you want to speak a universal language that you're going to hide where the work is from. But that's the classic error. That's like you selling. That's McDonald's, right? Like you don't want to. Yeah, but there's the, there's cream. this thing with globalization where you can go to every art fair around the world and if if you didn't know and someone just opened your eyes you're not sure if you're in Paris or in London or in New York it this is a huge problem right like that's i mean we definitely need to talk about that at some point which is that the art fair the art fair just as a topic has produced a certain type of artwork and the fairs have asked for that work 
mm-hmm. right? And we know now even Instagram is affecting this because I'm sure our audience knows that a lot of the private art market now uses the internet and then negotiates the sale over the online and uses Instagram to like research work. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of articles. Yeah, on I think with all these things, you can have the attitude of like, okay, that context produces a certain type of work. Mm-hmm. I might yeah. might like it or I might not. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, the interface matters, I guess. At the end of the day, though, what, what we're talking about today is like, is support, like public support, can, is it useful? Uh, I don't know if that's what we're talking about. I guess local identity. Well, uh, maybe maybe what 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 is interesting to me, and it's kind of a chicken or the egg question. Okay, you mm-hmm. ha- you have a country that doesn't have a tradition of collecting, and it's mm-hmm. not a major center, so you mm-hmm. get public funding, and because of the public mm-hmm. funding, then the artists become even more shy, and then yeah. it emphasizes what you were trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, right. or just, if you did highlighter, or yeah. if you didn't help the artists in that way they would be even more invisible it's 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 so yeah so many variables i don't know well i don't think we've solved it for sure no. <laughs> uh but i think the artist ends up having to solve it if they're really motivated to do so yeah but and, i think and that's why we we have artists from all over the world that have broken through yeah i do think that um in the case of the netherlands which i know from close i I, I can see that it helped creating a certain type of work that wasn't created in other places because there's the cultural identity itself and then there's this creativity cranked up to the max and then there's no pressure to make something sellable and then that resulted mm-hmm. in a good a lot of good interesting art with technology. Yeah, and if I can be really mean to Canada for a second, it's just like <laughs> what ends up happening is you get, you know, ten people of kind of privileged backgrounds who are publicly funded sitting around at an opening that no one in their right mind that wasn't from that group of friends <laughs> would ever go to mm-hmm. reading an essay actually they don't even read the essay in the it that comes out in the public this is me like if anyone has reached the end of the, the podcast is like jeremy's never getting another show in canada but like a dry text paired with an opening that no one wants to be at with work that's irrelevant outside of that immediate context. And that's really kind of privileged Mm. and coddled can result in, I think the destruction of culture. No, but I think, I think art is really slow. So sometimes things hit much later. I remember even Jody having a show in Amsterdam where maybe three or four people showed up. But well, that's that, actually a really good point. And, and then that yeah. work later, 10 years later, falls into place and then it clicks. So I don't think you can yeah. measure it immediately. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I guess what I'm speaking to is I've been to openings where it's like, this is work I saw 10 years ago. Yeah. And we're still... So Jody is exceptional because they made work over and over again that people weren't ready for that every year becomes more relevant. And art history has had that you know that repeated over and over again right but i think if it's like if you're just making if you're making paintings or photography or you know even if your subject matter is just like subject matter that's already been pretty well you know uh rehearsed i just i have a hard time seeing why you need additional support you know yeah but i do believe experimental practices require support and 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 audiences to be engaged with that experimentation would be that would be my dream come true. Like if 
if everyone, you know, sometimes you go to a country like, I don't know, in, when I visit Europe, I'm always ex- really excited, Raphael, because like I'll go to Germany and my cab driver wants to have a talk with me about post media or something like that. <laughs> like, or, or like the cybernetic self. And I was like, what is this fantasy land? <laughs> Does it ever make you uh, feel like you want to move to Europe? Well, I'm going to say, you know, it does. But then I just performed in Montreal. And at the end of my performance, I, I left the room. And the two security guards that have watched me set up and then watched the performance went out of their way to come up to me and, like, ask me for more information and wanted to get in touch. And and this is not, like, um, me talking down to security. I found out, actually, one of them was, a you know, an artist himself. and But, like, they'd seen a lot of stuff, right? And the fact of the matter is, like, they're they were anyway representative of of of, of the the voice that's not recognized right yes yeah. and and you know which is the popular voice and this pretend i think there's a there's a pretension that we believe that the regular people won't understand new ideas and i think that's absolutely false right like john lennon and yoko ono proved like 50 years ago that new ideas we're exciting and I just think there's a little bit of a marketing problem in some in some parts of the world and certainly in Canada that I believe new ideas are really exciting and that everyone should be engaged with them I think that that has happened in places at different points uh, all over the world and it can happen again and, and and we're all trying all the people that we're friends with and we're trying to do stuff with they're, they're part of this this the scene I you know they're trying to there's new I, there are new ideas out there that, that 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 I'm excited about that I hope others can can get yeah. as excited as I am about. Um, I don't know. Okay, I think I, I think I that's really, a, it's not a good point, is it? I think <laughs> is that a good point? But I think it's a yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it's a nice yeah. uh, closure of today's topic because okay. this is the longest podcast we've recorded so far. I know. I didn't expect that to happen. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I feel like every uh, podcast you at the end you're like, well, we could talk about this for many more days and we would still have a lot of things to talk about but one thing i mean i'd love to hear from our listeners about their local scene and whether anything we said is just complete crap yeah maybe the only thing i want to reply because it was a little bit about coming from a smaller country that has public Mm -hmm. support then the other thing that is interesting to me is there's the there's the dominant art system which is major cities expensive works shown in fairs and sold at auction That's the dominant MO of the art world. Um, then whenever an economy comes up in another country, they want to participate. So they are like, oh, we should also have museums. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting form of uh, being colonized yeah. where you adopt... Play by the rules of the game. Play the, by the rules of the game of the dominant uh, force. And you'll always lose because if you're trying to be the meatpacking district, but you don't have that meatpacking district. So you don't have mm-hmm. the big space. I'm thinking of a city like Tokyo, where they always feel like mm-hmm. our art world is so small. Their buildings are a lot smaller. So they can't mm-hmm. fit a Jackson Pollock-sized painting. So mm-hmm. then they feel small because their buildings are smaller. But actually, maybe their cultural history is a history of ephemeral objects that are worthless, but that are distributed widely. And maybe that's a, a better model for their architecture. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, the rule of, of any brand is don't copy your largest competitor. Yeah, but th- that is weakness. the model of... Uh, I, I'm really not making a judgment call here whether that's a good mm-hmm. thing or a bad thing, but it's just um, the art fair in Tokyo doesn't feel like a, a powerful art fair. It's smaller, the houses are smaller, so the works are smaller. 
Um, yeah, and if they would flip it and be like, okay, we're, we only make, this country only makes art under 12 inches. Yeah. You know, that would be an yeah, interesting yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd be excited about that. Yeah. Okay, that's our good point, I think. I think our good point is, like, do do the thing that no one else is doing where you are and just, like, support. I don't know, Jeremy. There's different goals. Do, do the thing do everybody's the, doing. Do, do the, <laughs> we're confused. Help us understand. Okay. okay. Well, this has been really fun. Thanks for yep. that, Mel. See you next time. Safe travels, safe travels back to America. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.